This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. He's rolling. Is okay. it rolling, Bob? <laughs> Isn't that, that Bob Dylan album? Is it rolling, rolling Bob? Absolutely. And then he starts saying, lay, 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 across <laughs> my big brass bed. <laughs> I kind of love that. This is from the official biography of Walter Mosley. Walter Mosley is the author of more than 50 critically acclaimed books, including the major best-selling mystery series featuring Easy Rollins. His work has been translated into 25 languages and includes literary fiction, science fiction, political monographs, and a young adult novel. In 2013, he was inducted into the New York State Writers Hall of Fame, and he's the winner of numerous awards, including an O. Henry Award, the Mystery Writers of America's Grand Master Award, a Grammy, and Penn America's Lifetime Achievement Award. He lives in New York City, and he's with us today. But this is from my unofficial take on Walter. Um, from knowing Walter all these years, um, my feeling is that he's one of the most generous and thoughtful writers writing today. And I echo what the Austin Chronicle writes about Walter when they say, Mosley is one of the most humane, insightful, powerful prose stylists working today in any genre. He's also one of the most radical. Immerse yourself in the work of one of our national treasures. Welcome, Walter. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I, I like I, hearing all that. I also lured you here today during lunchtime. So uh, you have a menu in front of you. I We're do. sitting in the cafe at our bookshop in the Gables. So let's order something. What 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 interests you? I'm going uh, to get two things. I'm going to get uh, the vegan Thai stir fry and the Cuban sandwich. No, I love. I you get, those are two very very good choices. Um, but I know you're not a vegan, just by the fact that you ordered the Cuban sandwich. Right. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get sick, so I decided I had to have some some meat with my vegan. Um, great. So let's uh, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get Nikki over here in a minute, and we're gonna take the order right now. Walter would like to order something from you. I, I want I want the the vegan uh, stir fry, Thai stir fry, and the Cuban sandwich. And some hot sauce with my sandwich. What can I get you to drink? I don't know what you have. Uh, just sparkling water would be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can bring, bring, bring a bottle of sparkling water. That would be great for us to have. And I'm going to have, um, I'm gonna have, believe it or not, just the, um, the um, grilled cheese sandwich. Okay. All right? With, uh, and I'll have the water with water. We'll share some water. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. So listen, I know you've just come from Tampa, right? And you were at the Southern Independent Booksellers Association convention there. Yeah. How'd it go? Well, the, the convention was great. We're at like this, some crazy like golf course that was 900 acres. Like 
you know, so you couldn't, and, and it was summer, so nothing, they didn't have anything, they didn't have like, like room service or uh, transportation or <laughs> anything. So the place was kind of hard to deal with, but the, but the booksellers were wonderful. And we had a, we had a nice evening and, you know, writers talking about, you know, whatever. I guess we were talking about our books and that was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Well, I like the independent booksellers. Well, I know you do. And, you know, you're, you're. And, and I'm, I don't think this is an understatement, but you're beloved among booksellers. I mean, whenever any of us get together and talk about writers, I mean, you're right there at the top of the list. And a lot of it is because of your generosity toward people like me and other booksellers around the country. Talk a little bit about about why you feel such simpatico with with booksellers and independent books bookstores. Well, you know, I, I, li- I like the independent bookstores because the, the big bookstores are not actually there to love books. They're there to move books, to sell books. Uh, so if you're you know, one of those uh, 12 to 15 big writers at any, any particular time, they, um, they like you. But, it, but if you're somebody who's just written an, a, a really interesting book that's kind of odd, that nobody knows about, that maybe came from a small press, nobody knows. You say, well, have you heard of this book? And said, well, who wrote it? And said, well, you know, just look under their last name. And it'll be in fiction or nonfiction or wherever right. it's supposed to be. And so uh, that's not always the case, but it's mostly the case in, in right. the larger bookstores. And so the, the, the independents, you go there and they, and they, have, a, a, they have an identity. They, have, they, 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 they mean something. And, you know, they're, they're, and they're, so, I mean, they're so self-negating in a kind of way because, you know, you, you have a neighborhood where there's some interesting people and a bookstore moves in and, uh, and people start buying books. And then the whole neighborhood starts doing much better and the landlord says well, we have to raise your rent so the bookstore has to go somewhere else and raise their rent you know that's exactly right and, <laughs> and and the other problem with books is that we can't raise the price of books in order right to exactly make, yeah you know and so um you know we're having that every bookstore in a major metropolitan city has that same problem absolutely I mean, yeah you come yeah. in you make the neighborhood more valuable, and before you know it, you're squeezed out. The neighborhood moves you out and says, oh, very, well, we could have a Big Mac here. You know right. I mean? Well, very, yeah. mu- very much like being an artist, uh, you know, yeah. where they come in and they have studios. And you probably see it in Brooklyn a Well, lot. listen, the neighborhood I live in, Dumbo, was a big artist community. And then when it started to be able to, to you know, build in for people to move there, you know, all the artists had to move out. They had to go somewhere else. Yeah, and and now it's more expensive in Brooklyn than it is in Manhattan. It seems well, like. I'm not. I don't know or if we go bit. that far, but it is very expensive in Brooklyn. Um, you know, you you were talking about the kind of personal nature of independent booksellers. The the thing that I love about working with you and working with the people who work with you is that you publish over so many different publishing houses, large, small. Mm-hmm. You even did one book in which you donated uh, the proceeds of it by allowing a very small kind of um, independent publisher to publish it, I mm-hmm. remember. I forget. Paul Coates, uh, Black Classic yeah, Press. Yeah, Black, yeah, Black Classic yeah. Press. So you've supported so many different kinds of publishers as well. But the one guiding spirit is... Beyond you is we talked about earlier is Gloria Loomis, your agent, yeah, who is a remarkable. Um, yeah, she's a powerhouse. Powerhouse yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who promotes. I mean, I'll get a call from her and who'll give me a rundown on everything that you're doing, mm-hmm. which exhausts nice. me after I speak to her because That's of all nice. that you're doing. She's sweet. The other thing that I think, interestingly enough, is that I think the when you think of Main Street and you think of 
what, in, what a small business represents in terms of our culture and our society and our economic aspect of things, I think it must fall very much in line with a lot of what you've been writing about in terms of economics, in terms of um, that whole notion of, uh, you know, fairness in, in, in the marketplace, in essence. Well, you know, I, I, I do. I have, a, I have a lot of criticisms of capitalism. It's not like I think that, that we could live outside of it. I don't, I don't believe that that's possible right now. But uh, capitalism itself is, 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 is so deadly to to everyday life to human life because it's about specialization it's about it's about making people into automatons in order to fit how production works and 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 that's and that's you know an, an awful thing it's and it's most people haven't figured out yet how to resist it and if, if you don't resist it uh, politically uh, because you know democracy and capitalism have nothing in common capitalism is much closer to fascism and and you and you have to so you so I, I keep talking about well how how does one live a normal life how does one live a life that actually fits what they need what what they want where they're going who they are who their children are uh, what their sense of justice is and and you know I think that that brings us a little bit to the new book that you've got out right just a little bit <laughs> um, and that's John Woman which is. Um, what Walter will be speaking about tonight at Books and Books. Um, why don't you talk about the genesis of John Woman a little bit, if you can, where it started. I know that it had been gestating for a very long period of time. Yeah, many, many years. Uh, well, John Woman, you know, on, on the t- just, you know, in a, in a sentence, it's about a deconstructionist historian, a, a, a man who believes that history is the absolute, but that human beings are incapable of understanding it. And he he becomes he 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 develops these ideas by reading to his autodidact father and has father explain to him what he just read you know from great you know historians from you know from Toynbee to to Hegel to Marx to you know to to anyone I mean there are lots of lots of people you know, Will and Ariel Durant and so he reads all you know the stuff to his father and his father explains it to him and at, at some point or another he's taking care of his father and a man comes in and a man. If this man does what he says, he's going to uh, beggar his father and put them out on the street because he's doing his father's job as a as a projectionist in a, in a silent uh, theater. Right. And so he and this man get into a fight and he kills the man. And so the man is dead. He, he hides the body. He 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 puts him in, into uh, you know he puts him into to the wall, and and then he just keeps doing his job until his father dies, and then. He go, changes his name from Cornelius Jones to another name and finally to John Woman. He, he fakes his education uh, and he ends up a professor of deconstructionist history because it's who he is. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm, I have a commitment in the book to uh, make the thoughts and the ideas of philosophy and history part of, of, of the real passionate everyday life of the, of the character. Well, what's really, I read the, the essay you wrote in Lit Hub, which was this mm-hmm. great essay, and you have a, a, a fragment in there uh, that you've written, which I think talks about this idea of a, a deconstructionist historian. And you say, the concept was simple. If you control the idea of history, the content of what people think has come before, then you have access to the near absolute power associated with that knowledge. Revolutionary political institutions and conquerors have claimed that supremacy down the ages 
by eradicating any contrary data existing in schools, libraries, languages, religions, and even entire cultures. Yes. How true that is. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, 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 and the only important thing for us to do is to know that that's true. So, you know, it, well, you're telling me what history is, but I don't necessarily have to believe it. It's like being black in America. You can say white people have foundered in their own history because they've uh, exercised black people and Native Americans from that history. Right. And if, if you don't really know what happened, then you don't really know what happened. And, and, and right. that, and that you, know, you, it, you know, the idea that you're making it up doesn't make any difference. Right. Making it up doesn't make it true. That's exactly right. And that's, we are, the, the ambient sound you hear, we are definitely in the cafe at Books and Books. That's right. But um, you're right. I mean, and did you ever imagine when you started writing this or thinking about this that it would resonate so deeply right now <laughs> when we're talking about fake news, fake history, facts that aren't really facts? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I honestly believe that what John Woman is doing would be applicable in any moment in history. Right. That if you don't, if, if, if you believe what they're telling you, you probably are going to get it wrong, and even and and the and the only way of getting it right is is knowing that you can't know everything, knowing that history is a little beyond you, knowing that understanding history is in the future. You know, talk about that because you've talked about that in the past, and I really love that notion that you said something about old people. Old people always look back, in a sense. Older people are learning from looking back. And what we have to do is look at what young people know in mm -hmm. some sense. Talk well, about know, that a little it's bit. It's an interesting, I think, I, for me, the greatest example, and, and, and the modern example, is when they found the, uh, the, the uh, body of Richard III in that parking lot in, 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 uh, in England. Right. And, and as they were exhuming him and talking about him and thinking about it, they, they realized, they said, well, he was actually on the side of the worker, of the artisan, of the everyday people. He wasn't on the side of, of, of royalty that dominated everything. And so even though he's been vilified for like six centuries, right. it, now we understand that he's a hero. So in history, he changes. He changes from you know, the depiction of, of William Shakespeare, and now he becomes actually a, a political radical that people today would recognize and understand because our notion of ourselves has changed over that period of time, and it continues to change. Every like, like you're one thing. Uh, I say, well, what happened? I ask you today, and you tell me, and then I ask you tomorrow, and it's a little bit different. And I ask you in ten years, and it's e even more different. Right. And then maybe you forget what happened, <laughs> and somebody else has to say what happened because they heard what you said, and that's yet again different. Right. You know. So it's all about stories. It's all about the stories that we're constantly recreating. One way or another. I'm not but, sure it's, if it's all about stories, but it's a lot about stories. A lot stories. about stories. So, it's a, so is there a truth? I mean, is there, I mean, since it comes, how does one then go about sifting through all of this in order to find out what the true story is? Well, the wonderful thing about asking if there is a truth is to, you have to say, well, in, in, in terms of what? I think John Woman would say, there's an absolute universal truth from the Big Bang until now. Things have unfolded and happened, and everything that's unfolded and happened has done so right. for a reason. And, and those reasons are all scientific reasons. Exactly. It's just that 
human beings are never, and so the truth is there, but we're never going to understand right. it in any kind of complete right. sense. You know, we have our own history mm -hmm. that we know, and it may not be the same history that we read in the history books. It's the history that we, that is our own history. And even that history you know, you're sitting there saying you know this one thing, and you're talking to your mother, and, and, and she says, well, you know, that really wasn't true. <laughs> exactly. It was your Uncle Harry who did Absolutely. that, who, who came in, and who, who, you know, and you're like, Maybe she's right. Maybe everything, all, everything I'm remembering and I'm putting in order so here, here, is based on something here's else. Here's right along those lines. So I'm talking to my sister last night, mm -hmm. and my father's now 90 years old. And we're talking about, um, uh, my sister says, my dad used to always wear a smoking jacket when he would come home from work. And I said, that's <laughs> impossible. I never saw him wear a smoking jacket. But he, that is like part of her mm -hmm. mythology of yeah. my father. And it's something I never knew or never recognized at all. And I guess that is in a kind of microcosm exactly, it's the way we see ourselves, it's the way we express ourselves, and how wrong we can be, or how ill-advised we can be. Yeah, and, and, and how things. insane we can be. I mean, usually when I have conversations like this, I never talk about my book, but in, in this case, you need to I, I, I kind of have to, because... <laughs> I'm what, trying to get you to do that, what, so what, good. What, 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 uh, what John Woman is doing... He just wants people to understand. Perfect. He says, I just want you to understand, when, when you want to think about what class you're in, I want you to know what class you're in. Right. When you talk about what has happened in history, you, I need you to know how limited your understanding is. Right. So when, while you're making decisions, it's based on a real situation. Like, you know, like a general in a war. It says, wow, I'm surrounded in all these sides. I, I, if I'm going to win this war, I have to be really, you know, kind of brilliant in order to do it. I'm, I, it's like the idea of the thing to do is let... For instance, if everyone understood what the problem was and more or less agreed in conversation what it was, everything would change. Yeah, it's not. It's not like there's a a, a, a revolution that we need to have. It's not a, a, a series of laws that we need to pass to judge who we are. It's that that people need to be educated as to who they are, what they are, where they are, what has happened, and how what has happened is continually changing. You're listening to The Literary Life. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Ah, food's here. Mm. Wow. <laughs> My God. And we want to get a hot sauce for Walter as well, whatever you might have. Wait till you see the desserts mm. and a little bit of cafecito as well. Thank you. Um, wow. You know, we could go. You know, this is, I have to say, Walter, when I opened the bookshop and had a cafe, I, these are the conversations I want that I have every single day of my life. Uh -huh. you know? and, and you probably do, right? <laughs> well, I have a lot of them, but not quite with Walter Mosley. <laughs> you know, tell me, I mean, you, you know, you've... You started writing when you were 34, right. which is older for a writer, really. Yeah. And the fact that you've written over 50 books is pretty, pretty remarkable. So you can eat with a full mouth. I mean, I mean you can speak. You mean I can talk with You can full talk mouth. with a full mouth. I'm not gonna, we're not going to hold it against you. But what? T tell me about the Walter Mosley before the age of 34 as a writer. Um, Where'd you come from? How did that all happen? I know you, <laughs> that's our great sign that just took a fall. I know that 
I know that you you went to a college which I remember when I was applying to colleges was like the great college to think about going to, and that's Goddard. For, yeah, Goddard College, the Radical Arts University. Was, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but you but you were you were born on the West Coast, right? Yeah, in, in Los Angeles. You were born in Los Angeles, um, and I remember uh, reading this. Not reading, but listening to the remarkable thing you did on Moth about your family, uh, uh-huh. about your mom and dad, and, and, and the pressures that you face there. Um, and it was incredibly moving. Tell me a little bit about your parents, and what, if you feel like it. If I feel like it? And if you'd like to. I mean, I'd My father was a you know, black man from uh, Louisiana. Um, he was an orphan. Um, and he... And in a way, he became a little bit separated from the black community in general because he didn't belong in the way that a lot of people belong. He didn't, you know, like going to church, you know, having a mother and father tell him what to do, all that stuff. And so he, he kind of made his own life in, in, a, in a lot of ways. My mother was, um, you know, from a Jewish family, a Trotskyite Jewish family from Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, very much a socialist, very much, a you know, a, 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 like a wild person uh, who, you know... Um, yeah, who who you know she 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 was was she, was she first generation here? Uh, first, uh, yeah, first generation born, born here. Yeah, she was born yeah. here. And her, um, she was married to a very wealthy man named Novak, and she got. But you know, she's a socialist, so she got a job working in a school. And my father's a janitor in the school. Wow. And that's um, where they met. And then she she came home, you know, to her. They had a private. They lived on a private road in in L.A. And came home and said. Um, you know, I, I don't really love you, Novak, and I'm gonna go marry this this janitor I met, this guy. You know, and so, you know, they you know they they were very odd people, my parents, really in a lot of ways. I'm not sure my life with them was easy, but they I loved them very much. And you were the only child as mm-hmm. well at the time. And um, you talk a bit about the fact that it was your father who really gave you the emotional sustenance in your life. Yeah, my mother found it very hard to express her her love. Was that? Did she come from a Holocaust background? No, was there a no, little bit of that no, going on? No, no they came. That just the people who came like they came between early. 1900 and 1910. That was like my grandfather actually who did that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of Jews came then. Yeah, they were and, leaving the pogroms of. Eastern and that's Europe. why they were communists also yeah. because they, you know there was that that belief in the revolution. You know, I mean, I mean the Jews were really like the the driving force behind it. But you know, by 1945. Um, that that was no longer the case um, in Europe, but uh, but the, you know they were they were incredibly interesting. They were incredibly free thinkers, and they and they taught me a lot. I mean, I I, I think I, I think I've I'm, emotionally I've suffered a lot from their ex- extreme personalities. My father from being on his own from the age of eight in the deep south, right, and my mother you know being. Loving on the inside, but cold on the outside, and but they were they were so brilliant, and they were so they were so not. I, I remember one day I asked my dad, I said, "Dad, what do you think I should be?" And he said, "I think you should be happy." Hmm. And I said, "But what? What, a, what, what do you gift. want me to do?" What a great and, gift, and, and, and I said, and he said, "Well, sir, I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what you should do. It's you." He said, "But I want you to be happy." And he was very, you know, um, he was very strident about it. It was really funny. Did he live long enough to see you become a writer? Yeah, and he, he was did. Happy, he was happy about all that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, while I was writing, he told me, he said, "Don't do that, Walter. Don't do that. You're never going to make it." But right. he used to tell me, he said, 
You should go into prisons. That's a growing industry. <laughs> that's that's a great line. And that was back that back in the really back in the instead in the of 70s. plastics, it was prisons. Yeah, prisons. Right. And he was right. He was actually yeah. right. If you look at the growth. When I look world. at it now, I go, "Oh my God!" Right. Yeah. And then, but how did your what role did your mom play then? Was she? My mother was a reader and a thinker. And 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 and. Even though she was, didn't express much love for me, I loved her passionately, and I wanted her to love me more. And and she did, only I didn't know it. And so I was, I, everything she did, you know, I, I followed very closely. And she was such a, like, a wonderful thinker, you know, she, you, and she knew. And I remember, and like, nutty little things, like, my mother knew every word in the dictionary because she had, she knew Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Wow. So and, and so out. I would like go through the we had this big fat dictionary and I'd find these crazy words and so and, and she, I would say it and she'd go hmm and she would like you know take it apart in her head and then she would give me the definition wow it was so funny you know and it was like and, and, and being intelligent you know I mean really honestly the thing about being a Jew in, in anywhere it's that you're supposed to be smart you're supposed to be studying all the time you're supposed to be smart you're supposed to know things that it means something when you're smart right. that right. in many other cultures it doesn't mean right you know right and and you, but you didn't go directly into the arts when you started. What did you do after you you went to you went to Goddard? Then you went At Goddard, to Goddard. I was doing. You went to City University. Well, for a Goddard, while. I did political um, uh, knowledge, political theory, and also at Johnson State College in Vermont, I did. And then I went to the uh, to a doctoral program at, at uh, UMass Amherst, and I studied political theory. So all all the big thinkers, you know, worked with with a lot of people there, and and learned. Learned, learned a lot from them. And uh, finally, you know, I, I, just, I, I just one day I realized watching the, the, you know, this professor named Fleece from um, Harvard uh, who, was, who was lecturing on Thucydides and the, the Peloponnesian Wars. And I loved everything that he was doing, but I didn't want to teach it. And I realized no matter how well I did, I would never do as well as he is doing. And, and I wouldn't have liked that. So I just became a computer programmer. I said, well, I'll work in computer programs. So pay me Which in. was very early on. In the 70s, yeah. Yeah, so, that's yeah, right. really early. Yeah. And yeah, you didn't need an education in, in computers right. in order to be one. And, you know, I had my, edu- you know, I had, had that. I was, you know, I was, and I said, I'll make money until I figure out what to do. And one day, you know, writing happened. So tell me about that one day. I mean, the first book was uh, probably not Devil in the Blue Dress, but that was the first published book, right? Yeah, the first book was one I published with Paul Coates, <clears throat> Gone Fishing. But, but, I, but it didn't get published till the fifth. But um, I wrote a sentence. The, the sentence was, On hot, sticky days in southern Louisiana, the fire ants swarmed. I said, you know, that sounds like a good sentence. I've read books. And that sounds like a very good sense. And it must be fiction because I've never been to Louisiana and I've never seen a fire at, so I'm making it up. And, and so I wrote that and I said, I could be a writer. And so I kept writing, you know, I just kept writing. Finally, I went, you know, studied with this guy in his house, Phil Schultz. And then um, I went to City College where I, you know. I, you met Edna O'Brien there, right? Edna O'Brien was my, my professor there. What was uh, she doing Frederick there at Tutton. the time? I mean, because. Making money. I mean, she I mean. just came over from, from Dublin and decided no. to teach. No. She, I met her once at a very early Miami book fair. She was amazing. I mean, what was she like to. Incredibly a, beautiful, incredibly brilliant. I, I still think the best living writer in the English language. Yeah. You know, and, and she was wonderful. She was a passionate. Completely. Kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I remember, I mean, the reason, you know, Edna wrote in her 
Our biography mentioned me. She says, I told Walter that he's Jewish and black. He has all this great history. He should be able to write from that. And she actually thought that that had an impact on me. But, you know, I knew that I was Jewish and black. And I had, you know, I mean, I knew what I was going to write about. But the real thing she did is one day I had turned in something and she read it. And she started talking to me about it. And she said, you know, Walter, you should write a novel. And that was it. That's and great. I went home and wrote a novel. That's I said, amazing. Edna O'Brien told me to write a novel. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a novel. That's you know, great. Yeah. You know. I remember her one day, the first time, I think it may be the first time she'd ever been to Miami. This was oh, almost 25 years ago. We were walking down the main road of the book fair, and she goes, the air, the air. I just love the air here. You know, I mean, that, that was sort of she, sort of, she sort of swept along in her own little world, it seemed like, you know. You know, Edna tells great stories. One of the stories was, you know, her her mother lived in the country in Ireland, which is like right. living five centuries ago, talking about history. And, and she was very, very religious. And so she, you know, she disapproved of Edna and her life and her lifestyle. And she, her mother died. And so her, Edna goes to the house, you know, because it's up to her to clean out everything. And so in the root, in the, in the, at it, there's a big barrel, and the barrel's filled with clothes, and Edna's pulling out the clothes and looking at them. And then she finds in the bottom of the book her first novel, The Country Girls. Wow. And her mother had gone through the book with a black pen and crossed out every curse word and every reference oh to God. sex. How interesting. Trying to save her daughter's soul. Oh, my God. And it's like, wow. Wow. You know, imagine, you know, that, but that's, who, that's where that passion of Edna comes from right. because it had to be such a reaction against, right. you know? Right, right. No, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was over there not too long ago and I went into a bookshop in Dublin and I found this writer named Mae Brennan. Do you know who she is at all? I know. She was this kind of strange, unusual writer who ended up living in the New Yorker offices <laughs> in, in New York City. But she also wrote about that same kind of obsessional, you know, kind of religious, obsessional life where there, you knew there were secrets hidden very, very deep in these mm -hmm. people's personalities mm -hmm. or in the culture there in some way. And, some, and, and in, some, in somebody's mind, your life is cursed. Right, exactly. Like, you know, your mother is thinking your life is right. cursed. She loves you because she, so she'll, it's, but... It, she, it, she had to create her own little voodoo doll yeah. by yeah. xing out those 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 things. Well, okay, so so you you were there at, at City College with um, with Edna and then Frederick Tutton, who was my, my oh Frederick yeah. Tutton, God, another really really. What, what was he like when when you Frederick's wonderful, him? and he was it was so you know he was so brilliant and so so whimsical that it was it was uh, it was um, an um, an extraordinary like an experience, and he you know he was. And he, you know, he wanted you always to go further, and he was never really worried about, you know, anybody else's rules, you know, anybody else's rules, including, you know, the, the literati. Right. And then there was Bill Matthews, the poet, who's, yeah. you know, who I took a class with every, everything. I can't write poetry, but I know that Didn't you can't he recently die, I think? Not recently. It was more like well, 15 years well, ago. Oh, was but, that long? But, uh, but Bill, but the thing about prose, fiction or nonfiction, right. that if you don't, have poetry as part of your heart. You can't write can't good write. prose. No. And and Bill taught me all about that. He taught me everything about poetry. I still can't write a poem to save my life, but I learned from Bill what you can do with language. And I think that that was a it was a wonderful time at City, you know. And I had a great, you know, I wasn't worried about grades. I didn't graduate. I wasn't worried about that either. 
I was just worried about you know finding out things. Yeah, that's and and the the other thing that's so clear about your writing path is that it has you've integrated all of your interests in all of your writing. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you've written science fiction, you've written mystery, you've written erotica. erotica yeah. I know I got that in there. And good. And uh, as a reader, I can I almost by seeing what you've written, I can almost tell what kind of a reader you were. And I mm-hmm. bet it started off like a lot of people did early, early on with comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Was comics, comics yeah. something a big thing in your life? Oh, yeah. I, I love them because, you know, they were they were talking about the, 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 the emotional struggles, which, which were, you know, portrayed as physical struggles. And they were talking about the internal characters. Like, like, so you'll have a, something like in Marvel comics, which is always <clears> the best. Um, you would have the Submariner. Now, the Submariner was the king of, the, of Atlantis under the sea. But uh, the people, um, you know, uh, the, the earth surface dwellers were doing nuclear tests and they had destroyed Atlantis and killed everybody. Right. So he loved his people, the few that were left, and hated the earth. So he was this definition of a hero villain. So you can start to talk about ambivalence in, in, in characters, you know, without having to go through this, you know, these kind of ridiculous, well, let's define it before we understand right. it. In comic books, well, let's understand it before we define it. And, and, I, and I just, I, I love that. I love the, 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 the toughness. I love the, 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 the issues. I mean, certainly if you're black, you know, like Spider-Man is a black hero, right? Right. I mean, right. his, you know, he, he, he has, a, you know, a, a single mother. He was the cause of his father's death. In order to make it, he has to take pictures of himself doing bad things to sell to the newspaper to vilify himself. Right. He's the strongest guy around. He always knows when trouble is coming, but he never, he never gets a break. That's great. I mean, that was... That's Listen. amazing, and you and as a kid, you just know it intuitively. You're not intellectual. Right. Well, you identify with it. Yeah, you identify you see with something it, and, and you identify because you can think unconsciously. <clears throat> it's amazing. Adults find it very hard to think. Unconsciously. No, and you know, as 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 you know, the, the the whole notion of the sort of developing the next generation of readers is something that I'm hugely, you know, uh, obsessed with, mm-hmm. and how, the amount of people, the amount of writers, the amount of really. You know, thoughtful people who have found their way into that world through comics is astonishing. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, I mean, and and you've written a co- you've written for a series, I think. No, I, I haven't written for a comic book yet. I've, I, thought, uh, I had I, I had that did. one book called The Ultimate Fantastic Four, where I took it was the first it was the first Jack Kirby com, you know superhero comic right. book in Marvel, and I took every image and I blew it up to full page size. Oh, okay, it's that's a right. coffee table book, right? You know, and I just did. I said, listen. I don't need to say anything about it. Just, just look, look at, at all this. that stuff. You know, look what he did. I mean, right. some of those, some of the drawings, I think are equal to Goya. You know, and I'm wow. like, wow. I mean, it's you know. So, but so that I'm going to want to. I want to write a combo with my friend Gary Phillips. We'll see. Oh, you day, should. Maybe. You definitely yeah. should. You know, like Brad Meltzer was just here the other day, uh-huh. and he's been doing a lot of that stuff as mm-hmm. well. Tell me about Edwidge. Edwidge is. Well, she's a great writer, and she's an an, an important thinker. She's, and she's not confused. Her, humil- her humility, you know, isn't challenged by success. And she's, she's authentic. Like, there's a lot of writers who, right. be, who like, you know, try to kind of act like they're royalty or they're right. important or like, oh, my God, I am so-and-so-and-so-so. Right. I won't name them because that would be really <laughs> too bad. But there are a lot of writers like that. Um, but Edwige, you know, is actually royalty yeah 
and, and of, of the work and i expect her to get the nobel one day. I, you know yeah. i said the same yeah. thing um and 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 it's and and she's com- so committed to the work and you know for me that like i know a lot of people don't like this word but it's she's so pedestrian she's every day like you can start talking to her about about know, anything her her and her brothers and their right. and her parents and selling the house in in brooklyn and whatever she knows about every popular culture television yeah. show that's yeah. on at the same time because she she loves her children and she yeah. doesn't think they should be like her yeah um, <laughs> And, exactly. you know, and I think that, you know, she's, she's uh, wonderful. I've known her for many, many years. And, and I've always been, you know, really impressed by her ability uh, to, to integrate a life. I think, I think the, the, the hardest thing in, in a, the world, you know, because capitalism is the production line. The production line is specializing. I put the left front tire in the right. pinto. That's right. what I do. Right. And it goes through everything. It goes, it goes through writing. It goes through education. Right. It goes through politics. You know, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Right. Like, Man, what the fuck are you talking about? What, right. what, this, I don't care it's about that. It's kind of living a no-label life. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and, I, and I honestly believe that, that Ed, Edwige is, you know, she's authentic to the level of being herself in this world yeah no I, and and i don't think there's a lot which one of these is yours do you know that's mine um last and the last question i have for you and yes. because i need to you still have all your food here and i have not let you eat but Come on, we have to eat too. <laughs> the, the question that i have is and, and maybe you know just picking up on the on what we were talking about earlier and the john woman aspect of it and also the idea of as you get older you begin to realize that the knowledge you have might not have been the knowledge you thought you had when you were younger. So Hmm. talk a little bit about what you thought you were certain about when you were young, which as you've gotten older, you realize you really didn't really have the accurate history of. Was there something you were really certain about? Huh. You know, we all are in, the, yeah. in that way. But God, I don't, I don't even know if I... I mean, I know that there must be an answer to that question, but I don't know if I have it. And it's... Um, I think the, the things for me that have been the most amazing... I've been in, I've been in uh, therapy and psychotherapy for well over 30 years with the same therapist. Wow. And we got old together. And I think that the, the things that are most amazing to me is, is understanding how my relationship with my environment and specifically my parents formed me in certain ways, or, or actually deformed me in certain ways <laughs> that I didn't realize. Right. And that the older I become... I see myself in relation to the world having to go through the barrier of my parents' fears about something else. And, you know, and I, I really, I, I, I've been, th- I think about it almost all the time. You know, I've been, I've been, I, I think, think, you know, I've been th- thinking today about, you know, that, you know, that crazy thing that my, my father's mother dies when he's seven and, and he takes me aside when I'm seven and says, that was the greatest pain I felt in my life. I will never feel a greater pain. His father dies when he's eight. And right. then I have my mother who's in a, in, incapable of showing emotion, so it feels like she's dead to me. Right. You know? right. And it's me living according to, in between those set, sets of rules that 
the only way that I can feel love in my life is through being brokenhearted. Mm. Wow. Now, it's, I, I, now, that's a realization you've come to. Yeah, it was a revelation for right. me. I went, wow, me having a broken heart Right. Is me be, is 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 exactly equal to me being in love. Right, right. And, and really, and that's what I got. You know, my, that's what my my father said. Well, the most important thing ever is this loss that can never be replaced. Right. But once you understand that, the beauty of it is it doesn't have to be forever that way. Hopefully, well, yeah, it doesn't have to be. Right? <laughs> you know, but you know, that's you know. another thirty years of psychotherapy to figure all that out. No. But but think but it's things like that actually. I mean, I, you could talk about big political things. And no, stuff like that. of course. Well, we know they're all. I mean, listen. I was on a panel with with a, a six journalists, me and six journalists. I don't know what it was for, but they kept on talking about fake news, fake news, fake news. Right. And we got to convince people that it's not fake news and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And and really, you know, I don't like Trump. But I, at one point, I talked to him. I stopped. I said, look. I'm a black man in America. It's always been fake. I've been listening to the fake news for 400 years. <laughs> he's not wrong about that. You know, he might be wrong about what he's saying about himself, but he's not wrong about the concept. Right. And, you know, they couldn't even argue with me. They went, oh, yeah, well, all right. Yeah. Because they had turned into a political move. Exactly. Right. But when somebody on the other side says something true, you have to recognize that they said something true. You know, that's what makes you stronger. Well, Walter, this has been, we could, I could do this through dessert, through coffee, <laughs> and then maybe even, you know, through a drink later tomorrow, on. tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> you know, drink later on at the bar. But it's been really wonderful having you on The Literary Life, and uh, I hope you'll come back, and I know that we'll see each other a lot. Uh, I should, I know, because, you know, I've been, been down to, you know, the book fair a lot, but i just never been to the bookstore. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm so glad that I could show you the store. Yeah, and, yeah it's uh, great. It's really wonderful. I want to thank you for all that you've done for all of us over all of these years. Why, thank you very much. Thanks for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Walter. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts. And also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life.